Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the uh, 9th of March, 2021. It's Tuesday, by the way. And this is episode 380 of Bitcoin. And I just can't wrap my head around the Acres ASA or the Acre ASA uh, shareholder letter. Because uh, I reported, you know, yesterday <clears throat> that this 180-year-old Norwegian infrastructure company, which started out pretty much as a fishing company a long, long time ago, uh, is now in oil and gas, and they got their hands in everything, and now they got their hands in Bitcoin through CT, uh, their holding arm that they launched yesterday, or rather announced it, uh, with a purchase of, I believe it was 1170 BTC. No, they didn't buy Ethereum. No, they didn't buy Bitcoin Cash. No, they didn't buy BSV. No, it was Bitcoin. Well, while it was true that the shareholder letter was also released at the same time that the news was released, that thing didn't make the rounds until later on, kind of after the initial shockwave of this company opening. And nobody knew who Acre was, okay? Come on, be honest with yourself. You didn't know who the hell Acre was or the billionaire owner behind it before the news hit, okay? But the shareholder letter is the stuff of legend. So let's let's start right there. <clears throat> this is from Dylan LeClaire out of BitcoinMagazine.com. Acre ASA, a Norwegian holding company that is majority owned by billionaire Kjell Inge Roche, has announced the formation of a new company called CT in a letter to shareholders. The company will focus on investing in Bitcoin-focused projects and will hold all liquid assets in Bitcoin. Okay, let's say that again. They put all of their liquid assets into Bitcoin. Quote, and this is from from the guy himself. First, we will use Bitcoin as our treasury asset and join the community. The letter penned by Roque reads, in Bitcoin speak, we will be hodlers. Dude, already I'm like tingling because this guy I think is in He's at least in his 60s. More likely, he's at the early stages of 70 years old, okay? Second, CT will establish mining operations that transfer stranded or intermittent electricity without stable demand locally, wind, solar, hydropower, to economic assets that can be used anywhere. Bitcoin is, in our eyes, a load-balancing economic battery, and batteries are essential to the energy transition required to reach the targets of the Paris Agreement. Third, we will build and invest in projects and companies in Bitcoin's ecosystem. This is where our true passion is. Okay, see how they said that the, they were uh, going to get into the Paris Agreement? If you don't know what that is, those are the Paris Accords for the climate, okay? <clears throat> now, 
what I like about this is that he's essentially attacking the idea that Bitcoin is a, is wasteful when it comes to energy. And what he's doing is he's proving that it, that Bitcoin mining can be green and is necessary for the Paris Accords to be able to be realized. It's essentially, it's a speculative attack on the idea that Bitcoin's energy usage is bad. He's front, he's in a, in a very upfront way, he's combating the very notion that is the major talking point of people that want to see the demise of Bitcoin. He's going after them right face to face. Uh, that's amazing. That's why this letter is so legend, dude. <clears throat> the letter also noted that CT will commit to not only holding Bitcoin as a reserve asset, but actively investing in, uh, in physical and digital infrastructure being built on top of and around the network. This news is extremely bullish because as Roque himself addresses the Bitcoin protocol and the underlying value of Bitcoin, the asset is a function of the utility it provides to its users and stakeholders. With the statements made in the shareholder letter, CT announces its intention to be involved in all aspects. Quote, risk is not an obvious concept. What's commonly considered risky is frequently not and vice versa. We are used to thinking that cash is risk-free, but it's not. It's implicitly taxed by inflation at a small rate every year. Inflation is very good for debtors and the United States is the world's largest debtor they owe the bond owners and they owe pensions. Both groups may be out of luck in the long term, end quote. In what is becoming an increasingly accepted view, the shareholders' letter raised concerns about the fragility and long-term stability of the global fiat monetary system that has been in place since 1971. While Bitcoin may still have significant day-to-day -day volatility at the base layer, Bitcoin is the antithesis of volatility and fragility, with a hard cap supply of 21 million paired with perfect supply in elasticity. Roque also addressed the asymmetric upside offered by Bitcoin and involvement in the broader ecosystem. Quote, it may be irresponsible not to include some exposure to Bitcoin given the asymmetric return properties. Even if you don't get the underlying cypherpunk and libertarian ideals, which I find most interesting, you still need to consider <clears throat> the potential diversification benefits of Bitcoin. Schmuck insurance is the words of social capital's Chamath Palihapitiya. I, I know I'm butchering your name, Chamath. I'm sorry. I, I can't help it, but it's not personal. Please, you know, believe me. As the Bitcoin market cap grows in size and liquidity, along with the fact that it has been the best performing asset of the last 10, 5, 3, and single years, it is no longer acceptable to hold a 0% allocation in a portfolio. In a reinforcing feedback loop, the probability of Bitcoin emerging as the dominant global monetary system increases the larger it becomes and more investors like Roque are taking notice. Quote, I was skeptical of Bitcoin for many years and my arguments were more or less consistent with everyone else's. The network's electricity consumption is wasteful. The network is not scalable. Its ideals of anonymity play into the hands of criminals and so on and so forth, end quote. Roque went into detail and swiftly addressed why these common arguments made by Bitcoin skeptics are in most cases naive and ill-informed. <clears throat> in particular, Roque's comments on the utility of Bitcoin mining were especially meaningful given Acre ASA's broad endeavors in the energy industry, quote, 
The financiers of mining operations will insist on using the cheapest energy, and so by definition, it will be electricity that has no better economic use. Bitcoin then acts like an economic battery. What, <clears throat> what otherwise was of little value locally is turned into an economic asset that can be used globally. The letter also addresses the potential of the Lightning Network to empower billions across the global economic system, the possibilities of micropayments with the digital bearer asset, and the applications that arise as a result, comparisons to gold as a monetary asset, the power of digital network effects, the bond fire coming to debt markets, and much, much more, and indeed much, much more, but that's the end of this particular article. <clears throat> In reference to Lightning, he directly stated Jack Mallers' name in that letter and said of Jack Mallers that his energy was contagious and that as somebody who was 40 years his senior, he's just never been in the presence of something like that. I'm like, holy shit. The guy also directly referenced what the fuck happened in 1971.com or I can't, I, it's either .org or .com. Um, it's like talking to one of you guys. I shit you not. Reading this letter is like having a discussion with Pubby or Matt O'Dell or, you know, Marty Bent or, you know, got like all the, all the rest of the, of, of my favorite Bitcoiners. It's like having a discussion with them. I've never even heard of this guy. And he comes blowing out of the woodwork like he's kicking the door down saying, I completely get it. And he does. He completely understands this. And it was, it was very reminiscent of Michael Saylor. When he came through the door, he demonstrated nothing but a very deep understanding of what this shit really is. Okay, he didn't bust through the door like Francis Coppola and her bad wine and start railing off shit about infinitely divided pizza. No, the guy gets it. And he's a boomer. Okay, he's totally a boomer. He's well within the boomer class and he's switched on like nobody's business. All right, so that's one of the reasons. So this, some of the stuff that I read to you is just part of, I think it's a 24 page letter. You should go read it. It is easy to find. Okay, just start scanning, you know, like your, your Bitcoin Twitter feed. Uh, from yesterday, and I guarantee you, you will find it. If you want to find it very easily, you can just go to my feed and look back in yesterday and also this morning because I've got it posted. Uh, you need to read this letter. It's it's amazing. I'm, not, I'm only halfway through it, and I'm just completely blown away. The other thing that he said, and I'll end on this one, is the bond fire. <clears throat> He's referring to United States Treasury bonds. And, in, in, you know, there's also uh, other countries issue bonds. But generally speaking, just like the U.S. dollar is the de facto world reserve currency, the United States Treasury bonds are, in fact, <laughs> the world's reserve bond. Okay, so things follow other people, you know, countries' bonds are going to somehow or another act like the United States Treasury bonds. Right, okay. The, the bonds are on fire right now. They cannot keep their interest rates down. They're all skyrocketing. We'll get to that when we run the numbers. I'll try to remember to, to include the bond because this morning, all the bonds are up. And for macroeconomic reasons that I don't want to get into because I'm going to screw it up, this is just bad. <laughs> okay, this is just bad. And 
honestly, I think the major thing that it reflects is inflation is is rearing its its ugly head and starting to rise up above the level of the water where we can start to see it. Right now, you and me, we already know inflation is here. Why? Because we have to do the shopping. We don't have a private buyer that has this massive, you know, ch- you know, checking account that they can draw from to go over to Whole Foods and and spend like thousands of dollars every single week. Okay, we don't have that. We're the ones that has to stand at the register at freaking Walmart and go, holy shit, how am I paying twice as much now as I was before COVID? I mean, if and if you're not seeing that then you're lucky, dude, because everybody I know is seeing it. <clears throat> now, who's seeing what? Bitcoin sees huge institutional demand. Gold Mansacks, head of digital assets, says Darius Z from BTC Times is writing this one. According to Matt McDermott, the head of digital assets at major investment bank Goldman Sachs, institutional demand for Bitcoin is currently particularly high. The banker explained during a podcast that a recent survey revealed that 40% of the nearly 300 Goldman Sachs institutional customers already have exposure to cryptocurrencies by the means of derivatives, securities, and indirect offerings. McDermott said that as a result, a growing number of banks are looking to develop new investment products to satisfy that demand. The Goldman Sachs executive also pointed out that the continuing huge demand from institutions and private banking clients sets the ongoing Bitcoin rally apart from the previous ones, quote, we have seen no signs of that abating. And when we talk about institutional demand, we talk about the whole cross-section of the industry sectors. And when I talk about the broad spectrum, I'm referring to hedge funds, to asset managers, to macro funds, to banks, to corporate treasurers, insurance, and pension funds. In quote, and boy, pension funds, that last one. Insurance and pension funds by themselves, man, that's... That's a huge deal. McDermott noted that 76% of the surveyed institutional customers expect Bitcoin's price to reach between $40,000 and $100,000 by the end of the current year, while 22% are more optimistic and expected to be priced north of $100,000. 61% of those investors expect to see further growth in the value of their Bitcoin investments in the subsequent year as well. <clears throat> McDermott also confirmed last week's rumors that the bank is resuming activity at its Bitcoin trading desk to offer Bitcoin futures to its clients. McDermott added that the effort will be quite narrow initially, noting that U.S. banks or U.S.-based banks have to comply with local regulations that bar them from trading physical crypto assets. All right, so that's that's the end of the article. But man, I mean, insurance and, and, and pension funds, and, and the one thing that they left out was uh, high net worth individual and family offices. And when you add all those together, you're talking about $100 trillion worldwide, if not way more than that shit. $100 trillion, $10 trillion or $11 trillion is the gold market cap right now. We're at a trillion dollars of Bitcoin. I got Goldman Sachs over here saying that, they, that, they, that the demand that they're seeing goes unabated. I, holy crap. I mean, this is this may very well be beyond face ripping. This thing may take your whole damn head off. Now, Novagrats, on top of two other Canadian e- Bitcoin ETFs, we have Mike Novagrats, who's going to launch a third, and it looks like it's coming tomorrow. 
Galaxy Digital is launching a Canadian Bitcoin ETF tomorrow. And before I begin this, let, let me advise you or <clears throat> remind you, the United States still has yet to have a functional Bitcoin ETF in the pipeline. Well, there's some in the pipeline, but I, I, unless, they, unless they approve one of these, then it's going to be like another six months to a year before the United States sees an ETF. And at that point, you don't need them. You can just somehow or another do business with the 15 ETFs that's going to be in Canada. I mean, the hosers are front run, running all of us. The damn Canucks are, they're making us look stupid. I mean, at one point or another, I got to get like the SEC has to see that you just can't let Canadians make you look stupid like this all the time because that's exactly what they're doing as filings for the first approved Bitcoin exchange traded fund in the U.S. piles up. CI Global Asset Manager CI or uh, has announced that its Bitcoin ETF will hit the Toronto Stock Exchange this week. The announcement indicated that the product would list on March the 9th. Okay, so that's today, in fact, making it the third Canadian Bitcoin ETF to do so in the last two months. Uh, though regulatory approval, okay, yeah, regulatory approval is still pending. The North American Bitcoin ETF was listed in February by Purpose Investments with $200 million worth of shares sold on its first day. This newly announced product will be managed by CI GAM with digital assets financial services firm Galaxy Digital Capital Management acting as the Bitcoin sub-advisor for the product per the announcement. Quote, as sub-advisor, GDAM will execute... Bitcoin trading on behalf of the ETF, per the announcement, GDAM is the asset management arm of De uh, Galaxy Digital, a diversified financial services firm dedicated to the digital assets and blockchain technology sector. While ETF products appear to be flowing in Canada, no filing for the Bitcoin ETF product has received regulatory approval in the United States, though several are pending, as always, with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, <clears throat> so again, the Canadians are front running every, everything in this space, as far as uh, somehow or another allowing instruments to gain exposure to Bitcoin for Canadians, yet not really Americans, unless you have some, some, you know, I'm not like as an American citizen with no ties to, you know, you know, like I don't, I'm not chubby you know, ch really chummy with a whole bunch of bankers. I'm probably not going to be able to take part in this, but I guarantee you, I'm, I'm, you know, there are many Americans that are going to be able to take part of this and they're not going to need a United States ETF. And by the time it's all said and done at this Canadian party, all the beer is going to be drunk. Right? By the time we get there, the beer is going to be gone because you know, Canadians like their beer, right? All right. Want to start earning interest on Bitcoin through BlockFi? <laughs> you can't. Jeff Benson writes this for Decrypt.co. Crypto lending and savings application BlockFi temporarily stopped taking new signups for its service on Sunday evening. The note at the top of the website currently reads, Note, new signups for BlockFi are temporarily paused. Existing BlockFi clients continue to have full access to the platform. Thank you for your patience as we upgrade our systems, end quote. However, while the system upgrade already occurred on Monday morning, new signups remained paused. Neither BlockFi nor its co-founder and SVP of operations, Flory Marquez, have responded to Decrypt's request for comment there are plausible explanations that are relatively benign. For instance, in January, crypto and stock trading platform eToro 
was unable to meet high demand or high trading demand. Rather than disappoint existing users, it upped the minimum starting deposit for new users who had joined in droves and were putting strain on the network. Later that month, eToro indicated it might also have to limit how much crypto existing users could buy. Not because its systems were overloaded, but because there, was, there might not be enough liquidity for eToro to buy on the customer's behalf. It's a supply crunch, man. Of course, eToro isn't the only crypto platform to publicly report difficulties. U.S.-based exchange Coinbase also has a habit of going down during periods when there's a large spike in trading volume. BlockFi's core offering is a kind of savings account for cryptocurrency. Customers receive interest on their deposits of Bitcoin and other shitcoins. It also lets customers put up cryptocurrency as collateral for same-day loans of U.S. dollars. The service has grown over the years to keep up with demand for crypto-centric financial products. It expanded into Asia last April, filed papers with the SEC in January of this year to start a Bitcoin trust for accredited investors, and has steadily added new assets to its platform, such as another shitcoin's name. BlockFi also experienced, experienced growing pains as it reportedly plans to go public by the end of the year. The company took fiat last May for taking five days before reporting a data breach that left some users' personal data open to hackers via SIM swaps or SIM swaps. Essentially, hackers fooled mobile phone companies into thinking they own the numbers of BlockFi users. They then use those numbers to gain access to some personal data via BlockFi, including the addresses and act activity histories, but not the social security numbers and passwords, according to the company. Yeah, but their home address, dude. And if 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 a, if a hacker can see your activity, they know how much Bitcoin that you've at least got locked up in BlockFi, and possibly if that you know that that initial deposit that you made came from the wallet where all the rest of your cryptocurrency is, or all of your Bitcoin is, they probably know that balance too, and they know your home address, dude. That's not good. Okay, that's it's just it's terrible terrible state of affairs, honestly. Um, <clears throat> so it's a crunch. People, are these, it, It's possible that BlockFi is doing this because they just, they just can't handle the loads, right? Which is bullish. Honestly, even though I, I don't recommend going to a lending service, just stack your sats, and put them uh, and and hold your private keys to all to all those sats, okay? It it's it really is that simple. You don't have to overthink this. You really don't. All it really takes is patience and a stomach that can digest broken glass. That's all it takes. And if you've got those two things, you'll be fine. Now this one is from Casey. It's going to talk about PayPal acquiring digital asset custody provider Curve. Let's find out what this shit's about for Bitcoin Magazine. Today, digital payments giant PayPal announced the acquisition of Curve, a digital asset security infrastructure and custody company based in Tel Aviv, Israel. The acquisition of Curve, founded in 2018, should help the company's security as it allows customers to buy, sell, and hold cryptocurrencies directly on the platform. An addition of services announced in October of 2020, quote, as a pioneer in security infrastructure for digital assets, Curve is proud 
to be recognized as an innovator and trusted partner to leading financial institutions around the world, Curve CEO Itay Malinger said in a PayPal announcement. <clears throat> now, as the adoption of digital assets accelerates, we feel there is no better home than PayPal to continue our journey of innovation. We're excited to join PayPal in expanding the roles these assets play in the global economy. <clears throat> Prior to the acquisition, PayPal formed a business unit with the express focus on blockchain technology and digital currencies, and this unit is where the Curve team will now work. The acquisition points to growing company focus in digital assets and may help expedite the process of rolling out cryptocurrency integration globally on PayPal. The acquisition is expected to be complete within the first half of 2021. Timing that coincides with PayPal's stated objective of rolling out its cryptocurrency services to its mobile payment app, Venmo. The exact financial terms of the deal were undisclosed. While many saw PayPal's adoption of Bitcoin services as a potential major breakthrough in BTC adoption, it was not without caveats. <clears throat> as of right now, customers cannot control their own private keys associated with any Bitcoin that they purchase through the platform. Absent this key aspect of Bitcoin security, users are not gaining exposure to the Bitcoin network. Despite these issues, PayPal's adoption of Bitcoin supports a growing payment infrastructure, which would further enable the circular economy of Bitcoin businesses. So there's the news about PayPal and, and acquiring Curve, if you were so inclined to be interested in that kind of thing. Now, Taproot. Let's get to this one. Uh, Bitcoin's Taproot activation gains momentum from new, quote, speedy trial proposal. It's a speedy trial, y'all. Speedy. This is out of Coindesk, and it's written by Alyssa Hertig. Bitcoin developers <clears throat> have been debating the best way to activate the Taproot upgrade for at least a year. Some are hopeful a new proposal called Speedy Trial might put an end to the debate by bringing forth a solution that more developers can get behind. Ideated by Blockstream developer Russell O'Connor and written up on the Bitcoin developer email list by technical Bitcoin writer David Harding, Speedy Trial would take a quicker approach than some of the other proposals in determining if miners are ready for activation of Taproot. All of the largest mining pools have already indicated they plan to upgrade. Quote, the idea received significant discussion and seemed acceptable to several people who could not previously agree on a proposal, although this doesn't necessarily make it their first choice, Harding wrote on the email list. Taproot is the largest upgrade Bitcoin has seen in years, and many are proposing projects on top of it. It will boost privacy and scalability and will bring a variety of other technical benefits. Consensus for changes to Bitcoin is hard because people from all over the world contribute to it and have different opinions about how things should work. But so far, it seems like Speedy Trial is getting a fair amount of support. Quote, seems almost everyone is on board. Developer Ben Carmen tweeted, looking through the comments on GitHub, 100% of developers so far have responded with ACK. ACK, which indicates support for the proposal. Meanwhile, Bitcoin developer AJ Towns has already coded up a draft version of the activation proposal, which similarly has a long train of acts. That said, it takes time to build consensus over such a consequential proposal. Coindesk messaged several Bitcoin developers who have not yet voiced an opinion. Most said that they had not yet had time to read the proposal. Another said he did not have an opinion yet. 
the change itself, Taproot, isn't being debated at all. Rather, developers are debating the best way to push through the change. No CTO or central leader is in charge of the network to impose new rules. Instead, a sizable portion of the global network needs to be prepared for the new Taproot rules. If they aren't prepared, or if not all miners upgraded to the new software in time, there's a chance that the network could split into two. That would be bad. Developers have different ideas of how to deal with this dangerous possibility. The above article goes into much more uh, detail about the history of this debate and its potential consequences. They're referring to a link, so don't worry about it. Speedy trial would give miners a chance to flag if they're ready or not, but would do so on a shorter timeline than other proposals. Rather than giving miners a year to flag support as once proposed, which opponents argue is too much time, speedy trial gives miners three months. Another key part of the proposal is that after the three-month lock-in, there's a waiting period of six more months before Taproot would activate. Quote, the goal of speedy trial is to allow a Taproot activation attempt to either quickly succeed or quickly fail without compromising safety in either case, Harding writes. Beyond that, the proposal shares a lot of similarities with other proposals, like if 90% of Bitcoin blocks in a window of time flag readiness, this should show that roughly 90% of miners are ready. At this point, the change will be locked in. If this 90% lock-in threshold isn't reached in three months, however, activation fails. Quote, there is no mandatory activation and everyone is encouraged to try again using different activation parameters, Harding writes. At this point, users would need to come up with a brand new plan. All right, so we've had this, this BIP8, uh, was it lot, lot equals true and, lot, and BIP8 lock equals false? And now it looks like there's a third activation method that's on the table called speedy trial. In my opinion, this is good. Uh, clearly, it, it might not be all that good for three separate plans to be on the table. But I'm always going to default <clears throat> to more the more choices, the better, until a point. I think if we have three choices here, it one uh, two of them is a one year time period, which is both for uh, BIP eight true and or BIP eight lot equals true and lot equals false. Um, that's and then have a a faster version of that uh, so that we can really gauge what the hell's going on, so that people can really you know. I I, I actually like the idea of speedy trial because it gives you three months to essentially say I'm going to make a decision to flag for whether I'm ready or not. And then there's six months after that to, uh, to wait in case, just in case. So it's, it sort of has the best of both worlds, right? I don't know. It's just, that's just my opinion. But for right now, we're going to end up running the numbers. CNBC.com forward slash futures and commodities tells me that we don't know what the hell's going on. Everything is up. Now, I mean everything, dude. I mean shiny metal rocks, oil, bond yields, the indices, everything is green across the board, except for natural gas swinging low by half a point. It's going to come in at $2.65 per thousand cubic feet. Uh, West Texas Intermediate up 0.66%. It comes in at $65.48. Brent North Sea is up almost a full point. It'll come in at $68.92. 
Uh, gold is up by quite a bit, 1.5% to the upside. We haven't seen a swing like that in a while. It's going to come in at $1,703.80. <clears throat> Silver up two full points, $25.77. Platinum is up a point and 62, well, 1.62%. Uh, copper is the only metal that's down right now, 1.65% uh, to the downside. Palladium is up a scant. Now, uh, let's see. Let's get to the uh, interest rates here. The interest rate futures are all up. Okay, the 30-year the 30 30 bond is up 0 0.72. 10-year uh, is up 0 0.31. The 5-year is up 0 0.1. And the 2-year is up scant, 0 0.01. And yeah, so I, you know, bond rates and the indices going up, along with metals and energy, it kind of sends mixed signals to me. Let's see what the indices say. Oh, they're all up. <laughs> uh, Dow Futures is up a half. Uh, S&P Futures is up a point. NASDAQ Futures up 2.15%, and the S&P Mini is up 1.26%. So take... Take that what you will. I, I don't really know exactly how to interpret it, but the global macro, this just tells me that the global macro is basically all over the place, that nobody really knows what the hell's going on. So it is times like this. Thank God we have Bitcoin. And let's talk about that. Uh, $54,260. I got a high. No, that actually is, that's going to be my high. I have a low, and it's going to be over at HitBTC, 54080 bucks. 314,000 transactions have been performed over the last 24 hours. That's about 13,000 transactions on average per hour. With 498,000 <clears throat> BTC being sent in the last 24 hours, that's 20,762 BTC being sent every hour on the hour. 1.58 BTC is the average transaction value, and the median transaction value is 0.017 BTC, or about 925 bucks. Block times are slightly low, 9 minutes and 48 seconds, with 0.71 BTC being taken in fees on a per-block basis, and 105.4 BTC being taken overall <clears throat> in fees in the last 24 hours. Hash rate... 6.99% to the upside puts us at 167 exahashes per second, which is getting near to all-time highs. And Doge, 5.7 cents, y'all. Shitcoins are just going to shitcoin all over the place. Clark Moody tells us that there are 42,358 transactions waiting to onboard 90 blocks to clear. We have a 1.00 trillion market capitalization. The uh, That is 8.99% of gold's total market cap. And one Bitcoin will buy you 31.2 ounces of gold. That's really getting close to a kilogram, guys. So one Bitcoin is almost a kilogram of gold. Just keep that shit in mind. We're, we're getting beyond ounces at this point. There are 18,648,992.59 BTC in circulation at the current time. And Clark Moody shows us a price of 53,874 that, uh, for that price. We have 1,127.5 BTC in the Lightning Network. That is now worth 60 million, actually 60.7 million 
dollars worth of capacity over 9,377 nodes. So we've increased our node count quite a bit since yesterday. Uh, we have 38,916 channels. Uh, now the, the Tor capacity of the Lightning Network dropped a scant. It is now at 53.8% and it holds 606.93 BTC. And that is on 3,795 Lightning nodes for Tor. That's gonna do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. And I start with the question, does anybody know what the antonym of, of front run is? Cause I can't find it, but whatever it is, its definition has got to be this, the U S government to sell a little bit of Bitcoin. Sharwa Malwa is going to tell us how the United States government is doing the exact opposite of front running every nation and company and corporation on the face of the planet from decrypt.co. The United States General Services Administration, a division of the U.S. government, would sell off 0.7501 Bitcoin worth about $40,700 at press time in an auction from March 15th through March 17th, according to a report by Bloomberg. The Bitcoin is being sold alongside other items, including forfeited cars, a heavy-duty tractor, and a 12,000-gallon storage container. How the government came to hold the Bitcoin itself has not been shared with the public. This is by no means the first or the largest sale of Bitcoin by the U.S. government, which sells any cryptocurrency seized from criminals or by forfeiture in public auctions. It does not disclose the proceeds, but all sales are used to fund the government's own operations. <laughs> with fiat. <laughs> Talk about shooting yourself in the foot. One such auction in 2014 saw over 30,000 Bitcoin put up for bidding at a total price of $19 million. The stash was seized from the now defunct Darknet marketplace Silk Road and was scooped up by venture capitalist Tim Draper at an undisclosed price. Draper's Bitcoin haul is now worth over $1.6 billion. In February of 2020, the U.S. Marshals Service sold approximately 4,000 BTC, then worth around $37 million. At today's prices, it's worth around $218 million. So you, you see how, how this is going for the United States government? It's not good. They, they need to just be sitting on, the, on this stash, dude. They don't need to be selling it. Other countries have also auctioned off Bitcoin recovered from criminals. Belgium placed over $125,000 worth of cryptocurrency up for auction last year, while in 2019, the British police sold over $311,000 in Bitcoin seized from one Elliot Gunton, who hacked the telecommunications service provider TalkTalk. But not every government ends up selling immediately. Last year, Irish authorities seized $56 million of Bitcoin after a local drug dealer forfeited his holdings. While the Finland government dealt with its own dilemma, it seized over $16 million worth of the crypto from criminals, but did not auction off the Bitcoin amidst uh, concerns of it ending up in yet another criminal's hands. That could just work out in their favor, though. In total, the U.S. government has forfeited nearly $10 billion by selling off seized Bitcoin rather than holding it. Talk about a missed opportunity. And it's going to get even worse. I guarantee you all these countries that sold off their Bitcoin are... I don't even know how they're going to... like. The, the, the people that are responsible for making the decision and, and, and convincing the rest of the people that it's a good idea to sell this shit... I don't know how they're going to be sleeping with themselves at night, but 
you know, it's just such a terrible idea to, to sell these assets off. But in Switzerland, we have a different story as major Swiss retailers are set to debut a Bitcoin gift card. Manor and Valora are leveraging the current crypto hype to sell Bitcoin gift cards in their stores across Switzerland. Osato Ivan Namayo is writing this one for Cointelegraph. Switzerland's crypto boom has entered another dimension with retailers rolling out Bitcoin vouchers and gift cards. According to Swiss Daily Tajes and Gizirgizirs, Manor, whatever, I don't know, I guess that's a newspaper. Uh, oh no, the, the country's largest department store chain. It is already selling Bitcoin voucher cards in 59 of its branches. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the retail giant Valora will begin selling BTC gift cards in its kiosks across the country starting on April the 1st. Dubbed crypto now, the Bitcoin vouchers are from the stables of Vardex Suisse, a cryptocurrency financial services firm. Vardex is also a subsidiary of major Swiss crypto exchange Bitcoin Suisse. According to Simon Grilke, head of operations at Vardex, crypto now offers a simple onboarding channel for would-be cryptocurrency adopters daunted by the usual av avenues for acquiring virtual currency. For Grilke, the Crypto Now voucher is akin to digital gold coins. The Crypto Now voucher cards will be available in three different variants ranging from 100 to 500 francs, which is right around 107 bucks to 535 US. The Vardex Bitcoin gift card product is coming amid continued growth in Switzerland's crypto and blockchain industry. As previously reported by Cointelegraph, the top 50 blockchain firms in the Crypto Valley are up more than 680% in value since mid-2020. With merchant adoption of BTC still growing, crypto now owners are limited in how to spend their Bitcoin gift cards. Presently, the options available to them <clears throat> would be to redeem them or redeem the vouchers via an exchange service or sell the BTC amount loaded onto the card using one of the 70 Bitcoin ATMs operated by Vardex. Damn, they're building a nice tight little infrastructure over there. However, with the fixed and marginal fees charged by the retailers for acquiring the cards, Crypto Now is in its present iteration, seems mostly to be a novelty way of acquiring Bitcoin. While there are several avenues that offer crypto to gift card trading, Crypto Now is one of the first products that offer gift cards loaded with cryptocurrency. The use of gift cards to purchase cryptocurrency is popular in the peer-to-peer -peer trading arena, especially in jurisdictions with underdeveloped financial services infrastructure. So the Swiss getting into it. Getting getting into it pretty hard because I mean Vardex just by operating seventy Bitcoin ATMs is not that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean Switzerland is not that big. I mean and they're operating seventy Bitcoin or uh, BTC ATMs. I mean, dude, that's that's actually rather impressive when you ask me. Coinbase valuation nears a hundred billion dollars ahead of its March Nasdaq listing, says Bloomberg. And thank God they didn't ICO right. They I they opted for IPO. So there we at least at least they did that. At least. Okay, this is out of Coindesk. Sebastian Sinclair. Private trading of Coinbase Global Incorporated shares last week indicated a $90 billion valuation ahead of the firm's imminent public listing, according to a report from Bloomberg on Tuesday. Citing people familiar with the matter, the news source said shares changed hands for $350 bucks apiece last Thursday via NASDAQ private market auction. The $90 billion figure is up from $13 billion from February when shares were trading for around $303 each, as Coindesk previously reported. 
Bloomberg sources said some shares have reached as high as $375 a piece, which would place the company's value at right around $100 billion, a sum previously suggested by Lex Sokolin, Coindesk columnist and a global fintech co-head at Consensus. The people also suggested that the auction is the last time Bitcoin or Bitcoin Coinbase shares will be privately traded before the company's public listing on NASDAQ late this month. While not necessarily indicative of future prices, private trading can provide a point of reference for where the exchange should set their share price for investors for the listing. Coinbase's offering will become the first large-scale direct listing on the NASDAQ, an alternative to the initial public offering. So it should be interesting. Coinbase is still a terrible company, but I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you know, they've been around. They've been around as for the longest of times in the, in the Bitcoin space, and Bitcoin basically made Brian Armstrong very rich, and all the people that he associates with are very rich. And this is one of the reasons why we get so mad at him when he turns his back on Bitcoin, like he did during the S two X combat. Uh, you know, you don't, I don't know, some, something makes me rich. I'm I'm not going to take a dump all over it like Brian Armstrong has. But, you know, shit's going to roll downhill no matter what you do. Speaking of, Ripple deal with MoneyGram is officially over, says the CEO Brad Garlinghouse. Will Gottensgen is going to tell us about it from Decrypt. Embattled blockchain software company Ripple says it has ended its partnership with money transfer service MoneyGram. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay, well, if this feels like deja vu, it's because MoneyGram already dropped Ripple last month as a result of the SEC's ongoing case against the company. In December, the SEC alleged that Ripple's sales of cryptocurrency XRP were unregistered securities offerings. MoneyGram's move was part of a larger trend in the industry. Exchanges like Binance and Coinbase had already delisted XRP, and the digital asset manager Grayscale had distanced itself from Ripple, but at the time, a Ripple spokesperson told Decrypt that its multi-year partnership deal with MoneyGram was, quote, still in place and that it was looking forward to finding a path forward. Now, Ripple says in a carefully diplomatic uh, press release that the two companies have come to a mutual understanding to officially end our current partnership agreement. Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse tweeted that both Ripple and MoneyGram are both committed to revisiting the partnership in the future. MoneyGram did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Neither would I. It wouldn't be worth my time. Now remember, this shit is coming off the heels of their large of Ripple's largest investor wanting to redeem like something like $270 million of its initial investment. And a judge basically put the kibosh on that. Now, Brad, when he uh, made the, his statement about that move, and I can't remember the name of the company right now, uh, said that they were trying to, uh, how to, how to put it, they were trying to front run the SEC decision and they thought that it was unsavory. All right. So they basically took a dump on their largest investor in the press. And now they're saying that they've dropped Ripple or they've dropped MoneyGram when in fact, it was MoneyGram that gave them the boot. If if you're still holding XR a bag of XRP, it's on fire. You just don't know it yet. You're, you you haven't been burned yet. I r- highly recommend that you, that you get rid of that. And I guess I should say that it's not investment advice, 
But you know what it is? <clears throat> it's just common sense. You've got this thing is going down in flames. And if you're still holding on to a bag of this ripple crap, you'd really need to put it in the hands of somebody who, who deserves to go down with this ship. Cause that's where it's going. It's, it's going down. Oh, now the gut wrenching story about Taco Bell is, is next. Taco Bell rides NFT hype train with collectible digital tacos. Taco plebs are, are pissed off across the Twitter sphere, man. I guarantee it. Tim Copeland writing for decrypt.co. <clears throat> Fast food chain Taco Bell has just sold its first batch of taco-themed digital collectibles on NFT marketplace Rarible, and they were snapped up in a flash. The tacos were sold as non-fungible tokens, unique digital items that can represent GIFs, artwork, or even short video clips. Quote, our spicy potato soft tacos can now live in your hearts, stomachs, and digital wallets, the company tweeted when the NFTs dropped. Taco Bell created five distinct NFTs, selling them in batches of five. The collectibles were put on sale for 0.001 Ethereum, or $1.79, which is quite cheap as NFT sales go, but the company will receive 0.01% of future sales, with all proceeds going to the Taco Bell Foundation, which focuses on helping young people find careers. (laughs) Like in fast food joints? The digital tacos are called the ever-crunching tacos, gimme that, Tato Dimensions, Transformative Taco, and Swivel Taco. Some of them are images, some GIFs, and some are short video clips. If you want to buy your own digital taco, your options are limited. The only taco-lectables, oh, oh, God, it hurts. They call it a taco-collectible. I don't know when you think, okay, it's an NFT, so it's gut wrenching, but taco lectables, taco lectables that I, it's actually kind of brilliant. <laughs> I have to admit it. Anyway, the taco lectables that are currently available for sale are the swivel taco NFTs, which are all owned by one person. Someone has already paid or bid 0.15 WETH or wrapped Ethereum, which is $262 for one of them. The others are not for sale, but you can still make bids on them. If the owner likes the bid, they may choose to accept it. The highest bid is 0.4 WETH or $700 US for one of the Tato dimensions, but the owner may not be interested in selling it. The official Taco Bell account on Rarible also owns two NFTs of its own. They are both themed around, oh God, here it comes, Chainlink, a network that helps blockchains interact with real-world data and has its own eponymous token. In recent months, a number of major brands have launched their own digital collectibles using NFTs. The NBA Top Shot series turns key moments from the basketball league's matches into non-fungible tokens, with trading volume hitting $32 million in a day last month. The likes of Bratz, Doctor Who, video game characters, and uh, the Rabbids have all found their way into NFTs, while musicians and artists, including Kings of Leon and Grimes, have all launched NFT products. According to one recent study, the NFT market was worth around $250 million in 2020, but with February trading volumes topping all of 2020, it looks to set to grow further in 2021 and it will i know we all hate it but you're gonna have to live with it and so am i honestly i I, do i want an nft no i the future of art is on my wall 
I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. The future of art is on my wall. If I can't touch it, if I have to turn on my computer or, or go to my phone so that I can marvel at this thing that I own that's, that's just nothing but digital, then to me, it's not that it's not art. I mean, I'm not going to take that standpoint. Of course it's art. I mean, there's a guy that, that put a crucifix in a jar and urinated until the whole jar was full so that the crucifix was under a sea of human piss, and they called it art. Now, that's where I start drawing the line. I don't necessarily believe that that shit's art, but you get my drift. I mean, if I can't see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, you know, rub up against it, it to me, it, it, it doesn't exist, all right? I mean, there's something about going to, going to New York City and going to the Museum of Modern Art, or is it MoMA? Muse- yeah, Museum of Modern Art, and standing in front of the original Van Gogh Starry Night. And you realize how big it is, all right? It's not small. You see pictures of it. It doesn't, it doesn't tell you anything about the art. It's what I'm saying about art. You have to see it in context. And in my opinion, seeing it on your screen, whether it be a small screen like your, your mobile phone or you've got six monitors and you make it a wallpaper across all six monitors, it doesn't matter. You will never understand what Starry Night actually is all about until you stand in front of it and look at it in 3D in the real world and hear the voices of all the people standing around you talking about that art. It's an experience, all right? It's not just going up and looking at a painting, all right? There's an experience involved in going over to MoMA, walking up the steps, going into the room and standing in front of Starry Night. And it is an experience that you will never forget in your entire life. It's like looking at the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Again, you will never forget it. You see pictures of the Grand Canyon, but you don't get it. There's no way that you can get it unless you actually stand on the rim of, you know, one of the observation posts of the Grand Canyon and go, holy shit. And if you really want to freak out, go to Black Canyon of the Gunnison in uh, uh, northwest Colorado and that thing is only one third of the depth of the Grand Canyon, except that it's straight down. It's a literal gap in the land that goes like, it, like if you walk over it, you will literally hit the floor one third of a mile down and you will not bounce off of any rocks in the process. Whereas in the Grand Canyon, it kind of goes down and goes out and then goes down and goes out some more. And while impressive, in my opinion, Black Canyon of the Gunnison, way more impressive because it really it really enacts that scale of so that's what one third of a mile straight down looks like holy crap that's a long freaking way dude all right let's see what else we got oh of course of course how could we how could we not do this one defi protocol dodo hacked for 3.8 million dollars so in the long line of DeFi complete failures. We have this one, and Tim Copeland tells us more about it from Decrypt. Decentralized exchange Dodo was hacked for $3.8 million in the last 24 hours, but expects about half of those funds to be returned. Right. Dodo is a decentralized exchange for swapping cryptocurrency tokens as part of the decentralized finance ecosystem. It runs on two blockchain platforms, Ethereum and Binance Smart Chain. So BSC 
is starting to really take over from Ethereum as far as the DeFi thing occur, you know, uh, as far as it, it's growing uh, for the future. And I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't start seeing like uh, the majority of the NFT stuff go over to Binance Smart Chain. Anyway, I'm just saying the exchange works by having market makers contribute to pools of funds, enabling traders to buy and sell tokens from the pools. Four pools of funds were affected in the exploit, specifically the WSZO, WCRES, ETHA, and Fusey pools. The exchange claims that other pools were unaffected. Dodo explained that a bug enabled attackers to create counterfeit tokens and use flash loans, very fast loans that occur with a single, within a single transactions uh, to collect real tokens. Then they siphon these tokens out of the platform and into their own wallets. The funds stolen include $1.5 million of the stablecoin Tether and $900,000 worth of WCRES, a wrapped version of the Cresco Fin token, which aims to disrupt the banking industry. Good luck. <clears throat> Only Bitcoin disrupt is the disruptor. Dodo was created to compete with Uniswap, the biggest Ethereum-based decentralized exchange. It claims to replace Uniswap's automated market maker system, which matches trades between traders with a new algorithm called Proactive Market Maker. Dodo argued that this would provide 10x more liquidity. You have to have that 10x you know, gain, dude. This is the latest in a series of DeFi hacks showing that the space remains experimental and very, very risky. Last week, DeFi platform Meerkat Finance was hacked on its first day for $31 million. Let's do that again. Last week, DeFi platform Meerkat Finance was hacked on its first day of operations for $31 million, although some members of its community suggested it could have been a rug pull in which the team behind the project runs away with the money. Regulators are turning their attention to the nascent DeFi space. In late 2020, the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission heard a presentation about DeFi exploring how regulators might exercise oversight of new financial protocols and who whose action could be brought against, uh, wow, that's a, that's a bad sentence, sorry. SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce has also argued that DeFi will require the SEC to sit down and ask some very fundamental questions about regulations in an interview with Decrypt. Okay, so here's the way that I think this is going to roll out. <clears throat> the shit coins that have not been looked at, okay, the, the original ICO sets that have not been looked at yet by the SEC are going to get going to get some breathing room. Now the SEC's attention is going to be turned to DeFi because they're always six months to a year late in recognizing when something is a thing. But guess what's next on their list? NFTs. It's going to happen. All right. The, so now the, you're going to see the SEC crawl all over DeFi. And then after that's done, they're going to crawl all, all over NFTs. And really what, what I really think is suspect is what's going to happen is that they're going to run out of manpower and they're not going to be able to keep up with the amount of scam that is going on in this space because you got to take the bad with the good. When Bitcoin happened and it and it fell on us, all the potential for good and bad and indifferent fell along with it. An ax is just as much of a tool as it is a murder weapon. All right. Same goes with a knife, a hammer, a wrench, a stick, you know, it, it, all of this stuff, it, it's never about the thing. 
It's how the human interprets the thing and to what uses that thing is put towards by that human. Has nothing to do with Bitcoin, right? So DeFi, NFT, honestly, I'd stay away from it. But hey, if that's your... If that's the bag you want to hold, then be my guest. Anyway, that does it for the morning roundup. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by Richard Feynman. Richard Feynman. He was a physicist, uh, probably, you know, like he dabbled in chemistry, phys uh, physics, astrophysics. So he was a mathematician, theoretical. I mean, the guy was, the guy is brilliant. Uh, he's no longer with us, but uh, apparently he had quite the sense of humor. A chemist froze himself at minus 273.15 degrees Celsius. Everyone said he was crazy, but he was okay. I am not going to apologize if you do not get that joke. Because if you get that joke, then you're a nerd. All right? And yes, I'm a nerd because I got the joke. However, I actually had to think about it. And it all boils down to he was okay. If you still don't know what that means, I can't help you. <clears throat> but with all that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.